Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. My friends, I woke up yesterday and I couldn't believe it. The Democrats did it to the Republicans again. Now, I have to tell you before we get started, I don't like politics. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm probably not even a libertarian. I don't think the politics are what should control our life, although in many cases there's things that they do control. But what I do notice is that I have to live within the realm of the laws that these lawmakers make. And yesterday, boy, the Democrats, they just slapped it on the Republicans like you wouldn't believe. I'm not really worried about politics. What I am interested in, though, because I thought in my mind, and I thought most people's minds, that this midterm election was going to be a routing of the Democrats. Republicans would take back the House and at least the House and maybe the House and the Senate. And then they'd be able to take Joe and whatever his ideas were and stop him in his tracks. And by the way, my belief is the best run country is when it's split, when nobody has any power, nobody can make any ridiculous laws, nobody can pass any ridiculous budgets, that everything has to be a compromise. And to me, that's when I feel like the country's doing the best. But it's very possible that this one little trick will be strong enough to rally the Democrats back to keep and maintain the House and the Senate, in which case we've got another two years. Actually, we've still got another year on this guy, so we got another three years of this stuff. And what do I think about that? Well, as always, I think that the Democrats have destroyed the economy multiple times over, and I always get wealthier when they do it. Because they, if they keep destroying the economy then they'll keep on the requirement needed to increase interest rates, which the increasing of interest rates is going to slow the economy, destroy the economy, and it's going to slow down the price increases of real estate at some point. At least that's the economics that I took in school. So what I'm saying to you is that which I was looking forward to investment-wise just a day ago, I'm going to start rethinking. Don't have the answer for you yet. Give me a couple days. Let me see how this thing shakes out. And I'll come back to you with my idea of where we think it's going to go. But at this point, I'm definitely going to retract it. Because why? Because real estate makes money on an up market or a down market. We make money in both markets. But how we make money is different in an up market and or a down market. And so we have to be prepared to make the changes in our portfolios necessary. The beautiful thing about real estate, if you can say so, is like the stock market's like having a gun to your head. If they decide to pull the trigger, you're dead. 
But real estate is like being on a train track. And you see that train coming way down the track, and you hear it, and the lights going, and the horns screaming. And all you have to do is get off the track, step aside, one side or the other, whichever. You can get out of it completely and not get whacked by it. You can get into it super deep and make tons of money by it. It's just a matter of knowing which way to get off the track, which way to move to get out of the way of that train that's going to kill some people. And that's why I'm bringing this up today. I'm just putting you on notice that I started to relook at the train track again and go, hmm, wonder what's going to happen here. It's interesting. Now, having said that, I want to go back to some emails. A couple of days back, I did a radio show. In fact, I think I've done a series of radio shows where I was talking about the fact that I thought real estate investing was changing. It was becoming um, a business that big companies could get into. Whereas before it was real estate was always local. It was small mom and pop guys. And so some people got the idea that I, that I was saying that there's no more chance for people to invest. And that's just not the case. They mistook what I was saying. And I actually have two or three different things that I've gotten emails about in the last couple of days of what people have mistaken what I've said. So I'm going to have to clarify some of this stuff just to make sure you understand exactly what I'm trying to say. So the first one is mom and pops are not out of business. In fact, I told you the article I read said that 90% of all investors are still mom and pops for residential real estate. Only 10% are these big giant corporations, right? But later today, I'm going to talk to you more about what's happening to the prices of real estate and how that's affecting people and mom and pops uh, by looking at the situation. And I'll cover that later. But right now, I just wanted you to know that was one of the things that I talked about. And yet, it's not to the point where mom and pops aren't doing real estate. It's not even close. I'm just saying it's changing, right? Number two, there was a deal where a lady was like 70-some-plus years old. And she wanted to get into some real estate. And she asked me whether or not she, she should go passive uh, or IRO buy houses, small apartment, buy yourself, whatever. And I made the statement that really, at your age, you need cash flow. And getting into one of these big, long deals that's going to stretch out for two or three years before you get start getting paid is not where you want to be. See, these passive deals are where we go buy a big piece of real estate together as a group, and then we go in and rehab it. And then we reposition it. We put new tenants in it to pay higher rents. And then it becomes worth more money. And when it becomes worth more money, we refinance that money out. And that's how we make our money. But we don't start making cash flow right away because of all the rehab and stuff we have to do. So for somebody who needs cash today, and that's the point to understand, if you're 30, 40, 50, even maybe 60, you have time to wait for a year or two to go. But if you don't, you need some cash today. Before I go back in the mailbag, I'm going to pull out of one mail, one of the emails that I did last week. This is what this one said. It said, I'd like to know what you, you, what would you do in my situation? I live in Florida. I have been a preferred member for a year so far. I have invested in my first passive deal in August and my second passive deal in March. These are hybrid deals, so 
I have not received any distributions yet. I would like to, and this is the key wording, I would like to quit my job as soon as I can. I'm not in danger of closing, of losing my job. I'm just tired of working 60 hours a week uh, on a routine delivery job. I don't know if age matters, but I'm 36 years old, and my expenses are only around $2,000 a month. I'm about to receive $185,000 on a refinance uh, for a paid-off home. Would you continue to do passive deals or single-family or IRO? I would like to take the lead, but I'm not comfortable yet uh, with doing it because I don't know enough. If I do IRO, could I get something for that price? I have no experience. So the point I made was, in this case, and this is where, again, I want to make this point. In this case, this guy's better off to do single family or IRO. Why? Because he wants to quit his job immediately. The rate of return on these deals goes in this order. You're going to get your highest rate of return out of single family rate of return wise, but not total dollar wise. You're going to get your highest rate of return, your next highest rate of return and your higher dollar Cash flow wise out of being an IRO, owning your own small apartment complex. That's going to be the most profitable thing you can do. People were taking this and sending emails to their leads and their leads were sending me emails back saying, Oh, why are you telling people not to get into deals anymore? For people who have full time jobs, they don't have the time. And the passive investment situation arrangement is very, very profitable for many people. In fact, today I'm going to go into one guy asked me a question about how I did it when I started which is different than how we do it now, but it was it's still a point that's been used for years. So I'm not saying don't do them. I'm saying listen carefully to what I'm saying. Hey, guys, not everybody should do the same thing. Moving on here. Let's see here. Guy asked me an interesting question. I'm a member of Lifestyles and Passive in three deals. What indicators should a lead consider when the time is right to sell, and should they sell or refinance, which is better? All right. Well, first of all, the most important one is the initial goal of the deal. What did they tell you they were going to do? Did I buy this to make a major capital gain in a short period of time and I want to get out of it? Um, did I buy this as a long-term hold? What is it? This the gentleman mentioned in the last email that he was in a hybrid, which is one that was both going to do some renovation and look for some capital gains in the deal and supposed to cash flow. A little bit of each is what a hybrid is. So that is the most important is that you do what you tell your partners you were going to do up front. Whatever the game plan, the business plan was, you need to follow that business plan. The next one, next thing you need to look at is the timing of the financing. Now, the financing should have been set up to match the goal of the deal, right? But if it wasn't or if things have changed, when the financing runs out is a major important point. Why? Because as long as the financing is there, you may not be able to get out of the deal because the um, fee to pay off the old loan to sell the property or to refinance the property could be so large that it makes changing the financing on the property um, an impossible transaction to pull off or just a bad idea, okay? So when you look at the situation, do you want to put a three-year loan on this thing if you're going to turn around and refinance it right away? Yes, you want a short loan. You want an interest-only short loan so you can get out of it. If you're going to go long-term on this thing, then you want a seven-year loan 
And you, if you've got really, really big rehab and you can hold on to it for a lifelong project, you might want to get a 10-year loan. But the bottom line is the financing is going to dictate when you can and cannot get in and out of your next deal with this property, whether to sell it or to refinance it. The next one is a little slower, but you should be aware of it. It is the movement of the submarket. Is the submarket getting better or is the submarket you're in getting worse? I've moved into, into areas and bought in areas where the submarket was okay and then all of a sudden something happened and it just went to pot, like boom. And the only thing we do is get out of it. We had to get out of those deals because they're just, the submarket was going to tear the deal apart. And you just had to get out. In other situations I've gone into, where the submarket was okay but not great, something happened and submarket started turning around. And man, that was one we wanted to stay in. That made you know, even though we hadn't planned to stay in it, it just did so well. We go, man, we don't want to get rid of this one. This one's on its way up. So the submarket is something to consider. The last thing is partner weariness. Now, there are some deals that occur. Let's say, for instance, I'll tell you, you know, you buy the thing and you start into your rehab and two months into your rehab, hurricane hits, destroys the property. All the brand new stuff you just put in got destroyed. Fire burns all the brand new stuff you just put in out. Now, that rehab, which was going to take six to eight months, now ends up taking two to three years because you got to redo it all twice. And it just becomes a mentally negative situation in your life. In those situations, once it becomes mentally negative to your partners, you best start looking for an exit because they won't last very much longer in the deal. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. What is Dell Wamsley, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, up to in today's market? I'm out there right now looking and buying everything I can get my hands on for a better deal. A better deal than what I could get it for a week before. And I'll just keep buying. I did that back in 2008. I bought a property worth $35,000 a door. I bought it for $26,000 a door. Next month or so, I bought the same age property. And I bought it for like $19,000 a door. But by buying at 26 when they were getting killed from 35 down to 26, buying at 26, let the broker know I was a buyer in a downward spiraling market. And so... From that point on, I bought three or four more. I can't remember exactly. I, mean, I think it was four more I bought from there. And the brokers were just bringing them to me. Go, look, you seem to be the only guy buying right now. Are you ready to take advantage of the wave of opportunity coming to those who know what they're doing? Join us for the free online workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. 
Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today I'm trying to explain through emails, discussions, the difference between being afraid of the politics that are going on, being afraid of the economy and where it's at, and being aware of it, and bringing that awareness to your investment decisions, which is completely different. The next email, I think, really kind of helps me explain it a little bit. It says, I started listening to you on the radio about two years ago. I joined Lifestyles for the great idea about retiring and living independent from time-consuming job. I've been a member for a few months. I'm most excited about investing profitable multifamily deal and meeting like-minded people who are approaching my friend, approachable and friendly. I'm apprehensive about a coming, slowing, or collapsing of the economy. So I wrote back to this guy and I said, if you're afraid of the slowing economy, you also have to understand the opportunities this downturn will bring. You need to get your education ASAP and be ready for it. Thank you for responding. The thing you got to understand here, folks, investing isn't an all or nothing thing. You don't stop. You don't shut off the spigot. You change the volume. So I gave this little talk last week and I talked about how two years ago I bought seven commercial deals this year I closed on one yesterday and I'm closing on another one this Friday so I've only bought two this year so you ask yourself am I shutting down no what I'm seeing is with the interest rate change I'm slowing my positioning in other words my growth so that I can have a wait-and-see effect on what interest rates are going to do to the market. My belief is if higher interest rates go, the lower the lower the prices will go. That's just my belief. That is not what the economists are saying. That's not what the real estate brokers are saying. They're saying, no, the prices are still going to go up. And I just say, I'm just not there. But at the same token, I'm still buying deals because the money is there earning nothing. So if I buy something that earns me a 10% return instead of a 15% return, at least I'm still earning a 10% return. If I buy something that's earning me an 8 instead of 10, I'm still earning an 8. So as these prices have gone up over the last five years, they just keep going up and up and up and up. I've seen my returns go from 15 to 12 to 10 to 9 to 8 to 7 and 6. But I keep buying because it's better than the alternative, which is savings accounts at a half a percent interest or less. And so what I do is I keep an amount of cash liquid. Because if the economy crashes, you don't want to get wiped out because you have no cash. So you keep liquid some amount of cash. The worse the economy gets, the more liquid I want to be. Be leery. Stay liquid, but keep buying. When you see a good opportunity to buy something that makes money, buy that something, because you may not get that opportunity again. Probably enough said. Let's move on to the next one here. It says, um, good afternoon. I hope you're doing well. I'm a member. I just bought my first house back in December. Although it's a great experience, I spent all my funds. I saved to make it happen. Therefore, I'm thinking of reaching out to a silent investor who could fund my next deal, similar to how you did it when you first started. Once you ran out of money, once you ran out of money. And my question is, how should I structure the deal? 
All right, so here's the guy is asking a slightly different question than what you might think he's asking. The way we structure deals today is that we are doing we're we're putting deals together in LLCs where one person is a lead and they're raising capital, right? And these deals are controlled by and are legally controlled by by SCC and other entities out there, and they have to be done a certain way, okay? Um, Back when I was doing it, it was a completely different deal. It was a deal where I would meet with somebody else that I liked, became friends, became partners, and we'd set up an LLC, but we were partners. We both had the right to control the deal. Both of us had to agree on anything before anything got done. And in these particular cases, the way I structured these deals, the guys would bring the money because I had all the experience and I was willing to sign on the loan and they had money. So they would bring the money. I would bring the experience, the expertise and do all the operations and they would put up all the money. And then we would split the cash flow. And originally, I wanted to split the cash flow 50-50. I thought that was fair because you know, any of you out there listen, David O'Donnell, Robert Allen, Jeff Cohen, Tommy Booth, Miles, Ron, Grant, Garchick, blah, 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 blah. You all these something for nothing people believe that the labor is worth as much as the money. Well, money doesn't believe labor is worth as much as the money. Labor always believes it's worth more, right, than the money. But the money is what really makes everything go because as long as you've got money, you can keep going. You don't have any more money, you can't keep going no matter how much labor you got to give. So my first partner said, no, I think it's got to be 25, 75. And I thought long and hard about it. And then I, I agreed. I said, you know what? I don't have any money. I guess 25% is going to be enough. So I took 25% of the cash flow and 25% of the capital gains. He took 75%. And we went on. And that model worked so well that we did it here at Lifestyles for years and years and years and years. But what happened was is that people that could not operate the properties we're getting 25% of the profit. Well, what if there's no profit? Then they could not, they wouldn't stay operating the properties. They would just give up and leave. And the person that put the money in the deal would be the one who'd lose everything. So we eventually put into the deal because not everybody was a great operator that the operators had to get paid and the deal had to support the operator getting paid. So if the operator ever stopped doing their job, you could hire somebody else and pay them to operate the property. And that solved that problem pretty much at that point. Let's move on to the next one here. It says, um, and I'm going to paraphrase this because um, it's a big, long email about a bunch of stuff. One of the points he brought up was really important. He said that he asked the question, why didn't you tell us about the money we have to put down for the rehab when we use hard money lenders? And I had never mentioned it because I didn't know you had to. This is something that's new. I went back and I talked to my finance guys. I haven't done single families myself in a long time, and I haven't mentored people in a long time uh, on single family stuff. So I didn't know about this, but what had happened in the past, let me explain to you what it used to be like. We would go buy a house, and the hard money lender would lend us the money to buy the house, and they'd lend us the money to rehab the house. And then when we got done with the rehab, we'd refinance it into a long-term loan, get them out of the deal, get their money back to them. What has happened now? Oh, I'm sorry. And when we went to do the rehab, the there would be a, a contract struck between the vendor who was going to do the work and us that would say we would pay them draws. So if they'd complete one piece of work, in other words, if we were going to redo the flooring, they'd do the flooring, we would cut them a check, we'd take it to the 
to the hard money lender, and he'd cut us a check for that work that was done after it was inspected. And so the vendor was getting their money as they completed the work. Well, now because of COVID, because of it's hard to get materials and so forth, um, they started requiring people to put money down up front on the rehab, at which they could get it back from the hard money lender when they refinanced the deal. In other words, it wouldn't stay out of their pocket, but it would come out of their pocket in the beginning. So that's a problem you got to watch out for now. And I, you're going to need to ask your lender and your construction guy or whoever your vendor is that's doing the work for you if that situation is a problem you're going to run into. And if it is, you better have the cash there to be able to get through that situation. The second thing this guy ran into, and again, he made a mistake he just didn't realize he was making, was that he went into this hard money loan, and he needed to have a certain amount of liquidity to qualify. He then went and bought himself a personal residence while he was in this deal. And by buying that personal residence, he used up his liquidity. So he didn't have enough liquidity, and he might not even have had enough debt-to-income ratio to cover this second loan. Whatever it was, it became a problem for him, and he got stuck in the deal. So you need to be weary that once you're in one of these deals, you're in the middle of a transaction. You don't want to do anything else financial. Don't go buy a car. Don't go pay off a bunch of debts that you don't know about uh, or that you think you should pay off. Don't do anything without first touching base with your mortgage broker to find out if it's going to affect your ability to refinance out of this hard money loan. It could be very much a problem for you if you do it. So let's stay on top of that kind of stuff and be leery of that, Uh, which leads me to the next person. This is a very, very long email. It's actually a good email, but I don't have the time to read it, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. This person saying he and his wife are stuck in what they're calling uh, cubicle prison and in the rat race and running on the rat wheel and everything, and their life is terrible. They had started their own business, and the business had just gone astray and wiped them out, took out their 401K, their IRAs, their college funds, and ran up all their credit cards. You would hope that somewhere along the line you see a company going down, you get out of it before all that happens. But hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, I guess they thought they could save it. But they threw good money after bad, and now they're broke. So what that's done is that created a gun-shy situation for them. They don't really know what to do, and they're really scared. And I understand that. And they're asking me what to do. Here is the situation. They own a home worth $525,000. They only owe $265,000 on it, so they have $260,000 worth of equity. Now, to get to that equity, they're going to have to make sure that their credit is cleaned up enough that they can go refinance that house and pull that equity out of there. But that equity is going to be their life blood to get back on their feet. The one thing you have to keep in mind, though, is that if you go out there and try to pay that mortgage off, you are going to make yourself worse off than having the mortgage. You're better off in this situation to keep the mortgage and make the payments to prove that you've got good credit and to keep the cash and not pay down the mortgage so that you have liquidity. And 
after you've just gone through a devastating situation like this, the most common logic is to be afraid of debt of any kind. Because you're thinking it's the bankers are all after you. The bankers aren't all after you. Bankers just want their money back. It's their money. You borrowed it on their credit card. You borrowed it from them. They want it back. You put money from your 401k and your IRA into these deals because you did. Right? Or maybe you had something, loans on the business. The bottom line is all of the mistakes that were made were made by you. Not by the money. And what you need to do now is start thinking about how to logically approach this. Because very easily, you could stick your head in the sand right now and stay broke for the rest of your life. Feel sorry for yourself. No one would care. And you're stuck. All the while having a quarter of a million dollars worth of assets sitting in this house. You need to figure out what you can do to get to that. Now, worst case, worst case, worst case scenario. I would myself sell the house and rent somewhere. That way, by selling the house, you get to the $260,000 and maybe even lower your payment by going back to a rental situation, although this guy's payment looked pretty low, but I didn't really understand what he was saying because he had sort of a strange way this thing was financed. But selling it could very easily get you out from underneath of all that debt and at the same time put a quarter million bucks in your pocket. Well, I hope this cleared up some of the things we were talking about today. There were some strange stuff, but we'll be right back tomorrow to bring you more of what counts. Not the money, the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited radio network. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.